That was a nice introduction. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> that was the first time the uh, sound system gave a shout out to me. That's, that was pretty good. I, I like that. <laughs> Uh, thank you for uh, helping me find my iPad. I was sitting there as we were worshiping, thinking of all the different ways now I could make an excuse for buying a new iPad Pro. So here I am, back with my old iPad. So I don't know if I'm appreciative or not. <laughs> I was prepping myself to preach from my phone because I have I keep all my notes on Dropbox. And then I was like, okay, this is going to be a real challenge. But it's great to be with you this morning. You know, I, I go back to, with Elam Bible Institute to when I was your age. I, I was late teenager, just out of high school when I came to, to Lima, New York from my home area of eastern Pennsylvania because two of my friends who were a little older than me uh, met here, one from Lancaster County and another one from um, Toronto, Canada, met at Elam Bible Institute and we're getting married, and I, I was part of that wedding and came up here. So that's how far back I go with, with the Lima, New York, and Elam Bible Institute. So it's a real delight to be back here. I met a number, number of you this morning and had some time to chat, and it's uh, just been a delightful day to be here with you and uh, look forward to maybe more of this time together. But um, my wife's here with us. Give her a shout-out to her. <laughs> We've been uh, traveling the last 10 days. We went to visit family in Pennsylvania, then went to New York City to preach in a church there that we helped plant about seven years ago in Manhattan. And our son and his wife and children are now currently living in uh, Brooklyn and are part of that church as well as he's studying in seminary in New York. So we have a lot of good reasons to come to New York. In fact, last year, um, after having not been to the state or the city, of New York City for many, many years. Last year, I was in New York five times. And uh, uh, one day, I was free, and I was thinking about going into Manhattan. You know, everybody that's visiting New York likes to go into Manhattan. And I was on my own, staying in uh, Queens at uh, Pastor Mike Doyle's house. And I was free. I thought I had a whole day to just do something I want to do. And I was going to get on the train and go into Manhattan and do the tourist thing. And as I was walking to the train station, the Lord was kind of nudging me and saying, you know, why don't you just walk around Queens? You know, Queens is one of the most diverse uh, boroughs in the, in the world in, in terms of a place where uh, unreached people groups and ethnic groups of the world live. It is incredibly diverse. Um, uh, hundreds, perhaps thousands of different ethnic groups live in Queens. And so I'm walking, and I'm thinking, okay, do I want to go to Manhattan, you know? <laughs> and um, the Lord's just sort of, you can do that, you know, that'd be fine, but why don't you just um, walk around Queens? And so I, I opted to not get on the train, and I walked from Mike's house in Woodside, Queens, down onto the main thoroughfare, I think it's called Roosevelt Boulevard, if any, any Queens professionals here. Um, and I walked for seven miles through Queens, just a prayer walk, praying for people. And if you want to have an experience seeing the, the nations of the world without spending a lot of money, go and do that for a day. I would encourage even your missions, missions people here, think about going to Queens one day. Just drive down, it's five hours, and walk around the, the borough of Queens for a day with a prayer walk. I tell you, by the time I was closing in on the seventh mile and coming back around to, to Mike's house, I was weeping. I was just weeping for the people 
that live there and saying, Lord, these people are from every, practically every nation on earth living right here in this big city of the United States, and how can we reach them for the message of Jesus Christ? So anyway, that's kind of my story. We're coming to your state, and uh, I think we have a lot more things to do in this state. I'll maybe talk about that a little bit this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. God wants to give you, wherever you are in life, wherever you've come from, Whatever your station is now, and I know young people, I've got four kids, they're a little bit older than you now, but we have kids, I was a kid, I still feel like a kid, I mean, I still surf, for heaven's sake, so you know how much of that, I'm a kid, I was just in El Salvador a few weeks ago catching the best waves of my life, and that was not a a golfer's or fisherman's brag, it was amazing, at a place called Sonsal, so I feel like a kid, even though I'm in my 60s now, uh, I love dealing and speaking to young people. I see you, I see myself in you. When I was in my early 20s, my wife and I were married and, and God called me. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But I, I want to inspire you. Your future is ahead of you. You have a life ahead of you. You've made some good decisions. Just the fact that you're here studying at this place shows that something is going on in your heart. You're trying to discover God's purposes. What does God have for me to do? And I can tell you that is a process, but there comes a moment in time when the Lord will speak to you, He will talk to you, and He will tell you what He wants you to do. And you'll take that and you'll have your own idea what that's going to look like and then it'll get massaged and it'll get beat up a little bit and it'll grow in one way and God will prune it back and you'll think, why are you doing that? That hurts, you know. You're cutting stuff off that I like, and God will do all those things for you. But I, I want to encourage you to, to make Jesus Christ the center of your life and His purposes the center of your purposes and pursue it with everything you've got, and you will be amazed at where you will end up. I'm, I'm, like I said, in my 60s, I've been doing this since I, I gave my life to Christ when I was 18, and I tell you, I went all in with Jesus when I gave my life to Christ. I went all in. His Bible, His Word was my book, and His ways were my ways. I did not hold anything back. I, I gave Jesus everything, and I didn't know what that looked like. It took me a while to figure that out, but I was not compromised in my commitment. I just didn't understand the details. But God wants to give you a vision for the world and your part in it, however big or small that, one, that might be. But you read the scriptures beginning in Genesis with the creation story and then the fall, and you fast forward. We don't have time to give you a, um, a theology of missions this morning, but you can find missions and God's purpose in every book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to this obscure man named Abram, whose name changed later, and he says, I'm going to bless you. I want you to leave your hometown, your home country, your people. I want to go where I call you to go, and I'm going to bless you and make your name great, he said to Abram. And he said, through you, through you, will all the families of the earth be blessed. What an amazing promise that God gave to this obscure man. He had to leave his home country for it to happen. And Abram went on this quest and became the father of nations, the father of the faith. Fast forward into 
the Jewish nation and the book of Psalms, which is their worship manual, their worship hymn book, by the way. And and by the way, uh, you know, worship was great this morning. I give all the accolades to the worship team. Thank God for bringing us into the presence of God this morning. Amen. So Psalms 2, a great prophetic uh, psalm about the coming of Jesus Christ. Psalms 2, verse 8, God speaks. It's he's like he's speaking to the person of Jesus, but it, it relates to us. It relates to our calling and our response to God. And he says, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. These kind of themes are throughout the Bible. They didn't just begin with Jesus and the Great Commission. He was echoing the heart of God when he began to preach his, his vision in the New Testament. Well, I grew up, you know, in uh, Pennsylvania, not far from here, just a couple hours south of here uh, in farmland. I, I, we're, we're out here in farmland in Lima, New York, and my house, looking out the back door of my house, looking out the windows of both sides of my house, was nothing but cornfields and pasture lands. That's where I grew up. So I didn't grow up in in anything kind of uh, too influential. My parents, neither of my parents graduated from high school. I was the first person in my family, my entire family, to go to college. That's where we came from. We were farm community people. It doesn't matter, though, where you came from. Abram didn't come from a whole lot of influence. The Jewish people were not a highly influential nation, if you really look at history. These large nations around them like Egypt and Syria, Syria. no matter where you came from, God wants to give you a vision for the nation. So here I was, went from small town USA in Pennsylvania to small town USA in Indiana to go to college, and I got plugged into a church there while I was in college where I met my wife, and we got married, and we got plugged into church, and one Sunday, an evangelist comes to our church that... I didn't know, but our pastor invited him to come, and he had just come back from Southeast Asia, and he talked about what God was doing in Hong Kong and the Philippines. And he said, the best fishing in the world is in the Philippines. And I'm like, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. He's talking about what God did in the Philippines and how the Holy Spirit moved in their their meetings in the Philippines. And I'm sitting on the edge of my seat thinking, I want to go there. I want to see that. I want to do that. Now, you know, I had briefly in college gone to Central America uh, for assignment, but that was the extent of my global travel. And this came out of left field. I had no aspirations to be a missionary, never in my entire life. And I sat in that Sunday morning meeting, and the, go- the call of God came on me. After church, I went to my pastor, and uh, some- sometime that week, I said, I want to, I want to go to Southeast Asia. Can I do that? Can I go with this guy? And he said, well, write him a letter. Ask him. Sure, why not? Because you know, I was known in the church, and, and uh, my pastor would endorse me. And so I wrote him, and he called my pastor back. His name was Wes Smith, and he called my pastor back, and he said, uh, who's this guy? <laughs> now, we didn't have email or, t- or cell phones. You know, I had to write him a letter. And um, he called my pastor, and, and my pastor said, he's okay. He's safe. He can do that. So um, I ended up going to, to Southeast Asia, uh, in February of 1977. So what is that, 41 years ago, this past February. <clears throat> Flew in on this big 747 jetliner and landed in, in the airport, the international airport in Hong Kong. I don't know if you've ever been to Hong Kong, but when those airliners come in over the city of Kowloon, the business district of, of Hong Kong, 
they about clipped the, the skyscrapers. You know, I could look out my windows and see women hanging laundry on the tops of the skyscrapers. I'm like, man, we're really close. We landed in there, and we got in our taxi and went downtown Chimshachoy in Kowloon, and I got out of the car, and I think I saw more people in the first 15 minutes of my time in Hong Kong than I had seen in my entire life before. Uh, Hong Kong is amazing, and Hong Kong is actually in many ways, it would be comparable to New York City, only it would be like New York City on steroids in terms of population. Hong Kong, Southeast Asia, you draw a circle around Hong Kong approximately, some people say it's as little as 1,300 miles, I'm going to say 2,000. You draw a circle around Hong Kong, which would encompass most of China, much of India, all of the nations of Southeast Asia, as far south as Indonesia, and half of the world's population lives there. So you want to get a taste of that, go into New York City and just hang out, you get a taste of traffic and pedestrian traffic, but Asia is on steroids for, new, for U.S. cities, just wall-to-wall -wall people. <clears throat> we did a crusade in Metro Manila. We went from Hong Kong to Metro Manila. We did an outdoor meeting, a big event that lasted several nights, and I saw thousands of people come rushing to the front and the platform to receive Jesus Christ. I had never seen anything like that before. I mean, I had seen Billy Graham crusades on TV, and, and, but it was new, and I came home on the airplane, reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking for every place where Jesus ministered to the multitudes, to the crowds, as newer translations call it. And I was overwhelmed with the, over a hundred times it said, Jesus, he taught the multitudes, he fed the multitudes, he had compassion on the multitudes, he ministered to them. He healed among them. He became so overwhelmingly tiresome sometimes he had to flee from them. One time they backed him into the lake. You know, some people say Jesus strategically went into the lake of Galilee and got on a boat for the auditory, you know, sound that does work. But I think they just were trying to drown him is what I think is happening. They're just backing him into the water and he keeps getting into deeper water while they're coming closer. I've been in meetings like that where the crowds are so huge and they're so eager they're pushing against you. And um, it happened one time in India in a place called Budown. The crowd was so enthusiastic in a, in a meeting that we had. They crowded around the stage, nearly 30,000 people. And the stage was rocking and my family and I and our team was up on the stage and the whole stage was going like this. And I'm thinking, we're all going to die of enthusiasm. You know, it wasn't anger. <clears throat> and uh, so I think Jesus was just getting backed into the lake, and he finally got into water that was deep enough that his microphone was going to drown, and so he had to get into a boat. I don't know what exactly was the reason, but I think it was something like that. I came home from that trip. I got home, went into my house. My, my wife, you know, opened the door for me, and I first thing I told her is, we're going to Asia, because that's where it's happening. And she's like say what? <laughs> so it took us about a year, but we ended up, up in Asia. I, I want to challenge you. God wants to do something in your life like that that will give you a vision for what he could do with your life. God wants to give you an experience that will stretch your outlook, that will stretch your capacity, will excite you with something that's bigger than yourself. He wants to give you his global implications. 
Because I, I don't care whether you're called to preach the gospel to millions of people. I had a calling in my life to be an evangelist, and I wanted to preach to crowds after these experiences. I'll share a few more that happened. I don't care if that's what your calling is or if you like to quietly deal with one person at a time. God wants to use you to reach even one person at a time. You could be the person that reaches a key person, the Jesus, the Jesus kind of persons, the persons of peace Jesus talked about. You, God could use you to reach a Jesus-appointed person, and you could be the one that leads them to Christ, disciples them into a walk with God, and they could be the catalyst to reach millions of people. Don't underestimate God's ability to use you if you make yourself available to him. <clears throat> it won't happen overnight. There's work involved. There will be suffering, disappointments, setbacks, but patient determination. If I learned anything in the years we, 15 years we spent in Asia was patient determination. I'm not going to quit. The thing I've learned about determination is if we stick with what God has given us to do, when our moment of destiny arrives, we will be there to answer the door. That's the key. That's what I learned from my mentors that I trained under. I watched this man named Wayne Crook, who I worked with, determined to preach the gospel to thousands, to tens of thousands in Thailand, when everybody around him told him it'll never happen. And he said, he was a little earthy. <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd come away from a meeting like that where people poured ice water on his vision. He said, they're all a bunch of deadheads. You know, he said, they don't care about the lost going to hell in this country. And he said, you know, I, all they do want to do is sit in Bangkok in air-conditioned offices and push his papers around on their desk. <laughs> he said, we're going to reach this nation for Jesus Christ. I'm this young 22-year-old intern, you know, what did I know, you know? Like, I hope I'm not a deadhead. You know, I like air conditioning. <clears throat> we worked with Pastor Wayne, with Evangelist Wayne Crook for three years in our internship time when we first went to the field. After that two-week trip, we ended up in Asia working with him and the team. We were the first members on his team. I was his kind of right-hand guy. And for three years, we were breaking ground in this country with Small meetings, little outdoor meetings. He had a vision for thousands. We were preaching to hundreds. And it was a lot of work and many disappointments. We drove around that country, Beth and I. We had one kid when we started. We had a second one when we were there in, in uh, first living in Taiwan, but traveling to Thailand. Later, we moved to Thailand. <clears throat> Dragging our two little children, four and two. One, they were one and one and a half and zero and we started out and grew together in this white van, Ford van made in Britain, imported to Thailand. It was 25 years old when we bought it and we called it Lazarus because we had to keep raising it back from the dead. And it was not the same as the real guy, you know, because he kept dying, this one. <clears throat> but we drove that thing around the country and for two years, we did this all over the nation of Thailand, one meeting after the other. One time, we traveled for six months without stopping. We, we left our home in Taiwan and went to Thailand and traveled nonstop for six months with a baby that was only a month old <laughs> and a daughter who was shy of two years. 
and we were living in suitcases. We didn't have a, you know, what do you call it, a pack and play. They didn't had, hadn't invented those yet. We were still cavemen, and we, we uh, put our kid, we put our little Jeremy into a suitcase and uh, put a bed in the suitcase with the, you know, the lid laying and just hoped it wouldn't flap shut and, and suffocate him at night. <laughs> so after two years, <clears throat> we ended up at this place called Tung in North Thailand. And it was a little tiny village. We moved into the schoolhouse, which was an abandoned schoolhouse with a large football field, soccer field out front. Three-room schoolhouse. Each room was about the size of that annex area there, large rooms. We moved our family of four into one. Wayne moved into another, and the Thai team moved into the third. We had to string light bulbs through because there was no electricity. Out back, we had to dig a hole in the ground for the toilet, which about around which we put thatch for privacy. We did another one beside it with a barrel of water for bathing. This is the way we lived. We were going to be there for like two weeks with a 10-day meeting, and Wayne's first comment to me was, why did we agree to come to this little nothing village for 10 days? Or maybe three. <clears throat> so we did what we've been doing for two years. We set up the lights, we set up the sound system, our team built a little stage, about 20 by 10, about three feet off the ground, and we started preaching. The first night, 300 people showed up. <clears throat> We're like, wow, 300 people, where did they all come from? And uh, second night, 600 people showed up. Now we're like, wow, where did they come from? Third night, 1,200 people. I'm rounding these numbers off for your benefit. Fourth night, 3,000. Fifth night, five to 6,000. Sixth night, by the ninth night, we had 16,000 people in that field. They were coming in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon by trucks. Somebody hired trucks. We didn't. We had no idea who was hiring trucks. They were big, like flatbed type dump trucks. And they'd come rolling in and open up the back end and almost like pour the people out on a pile. I mean, that's how it looked. You know, they were jumping out the back, but it kind of looked to me like they're just pouring them out. <clears throat> and they would come, the little old ladies would come limping in there with the newspaper and they'd sit down right in the front of the, front of the platform, like right here, holding newspaper over their heads for Three o'clock, and the meeting didn't start till six. The truck would leave and go get another crowd. <clears throat> 16,000 people. We didn't do anything different than we'd been doing for, three, for close to three years. I say two, but we'd worked with them the year before during our sort of checking these things out. <clears throat> we didn't do anything different, but the Holy Spirit moved. Trying to figure out. And I learned something and that experience that I saw Wayne Crook's determination, he wouldn't quit, he wouldn't be discouraged, or he wouldn't let his discouragement get the better of him. He stuck to it tenaciously, and he was tough. You know, we're, we all, let's, let's be honest here, folks, we all serve God brokenly, don't we? We don't, and none of us serve God perfectly. We serve God brokenly. And we do our best to navigate through our brokenness and let Jesus Christ have his way in our lives. And I saw Wayne doing that. He was, he was a tough guy to work for. We had, we had challenges in our relationship. And I, part of that was my immaturity and part of it was his difficult personality. But God honored his faith and his determination and his tenacity and his prayer life when he would get on his face and weep for the nation of Thailand pouring his heart out for those people, that somebody 
will stand up and bring them a witness for Jesus Christ. Because if they don't, they're lost. That night, police came and said, you can't have this meeting anymore. <clears throat> he said, why not? You know, we have a permit. He said, well, the local hierarchy, the other religions in the, in the area are kind of jealous. And we've got to take away your permit. And Wayne's like, well, we can't stop the people from coming. <laughs> you know? They're going to come. He said, well, you can't preach. So Wayne said, I'm going to sit a chair on the platform. I can't turn the mic on, but we'll turn it on just enough to tell them that we can't have a meeting, but we will pray for them. So they did that, and Wayne sat on that chair, and he said, I'm going to pray for every single one of these people. About 9,000 people came up, so it did go down. I guess some folks got, got the word and the buzz in the town that there wasn't going to be a meeting, but nine, only 9,000 showed up. And Wayne sat on that chair. And he, and he said, you can come up here, the stairs on this side, stairs on that side. You come up here and I'll pray for you. And he prayed for every single one of those 9,000 people. It took him a few hours. I want to tell you something. If you're there, if you're home, if you answer the door when your day of destiny comes, if you endure the trouble and the disappointments and the setbacks, and you stick to it, and you won't quit, and you say, I know what God's called me to do. That doesn't mean you make don't make adjustments, but you won't quit. A day of destiny will come, and God will give you fruit, and it will be much more than you think it ever could be. That is real. I've seen that. It happened to me. We went from this experience, and we moved to, to Sri Lanka. We couldn't live in Sri Lanka, but we started our own ministry after those internship years working with another man's ministry, and that's how we learn, folks. You know, we, I, I challenge young people today. I say, when you go out and work in an internship, don't use that person you're serving as a stepping stone to get where you want to go. Serve them. Add value to them. Make them successful. Make it your business to make them succeed. And then God will give you what is yours. And that's what happened to me. I made it my business to make Wayne successful, and we, we had it. He went from there for the next five years. He preached to more people in Thailand than any other person had ever done in the history of Thailand, including big-name people like T.L. Osborne. He preached to hundreds of thousands of people all over Thailand and uh, until the government finally shut him down and said, sorry, but you're practicing medicine without a license because he's praying for the sick. But he traveled all over that country preaching to crowds of 10 to 20,000 people over and over and over again. It's like the, the roof blew off in Thailand. There was a season of God's visitation in that nation. Uh, we moved, and we started a ministry to focus on the nation of Sri Lanka, and I, I had to go through the same thing all over again. We pioneered a work in 1984, and we did the same thing again. I thought, you know, maybe three years is enough, and I'll have to, I can go right into glory, you know. That's what my vision was. And we ended up having to do the same thing in our ministry, just hard-pressed, pushing and shoving and dealing with rain. We had so much rain in our meetings. We, we were thinking about changing the name of our meetings to the Rainmaking Crusades. You know, and if you have a drought, invite us. You know, we'll, we'll, pray, we'll pray, we'll preach, and rain will come. Uh, we had so much problem with rain. Living in ratty hotels, <clears throat> I, I mean, I could spend an hour telling you stories. I actually have written many of them in my book in the back. If you're interested, you can buy a copy. Um, I remember being in this one place called Nawalapitiya. We had worked again. It was two, three years, closing in on four. And we were in this ratty little place, staying in this house. It was, was 
leaking, raining. My son was with me, my older son. He was about 13 years old. And we're in a bedroom that is dripping in three different places. We had to move our beds and put buckets. And the bathroom was black with mildew. In the, in, and we had to take showers in, in a nicely painted black bathroom. That's how wet it and, and mildew it was. And Jeremy goes out to work with the team one day to help distribute advertisements for the meeting. And I stay in my room to pray. And I'm praying. I'm not praying for the meeting. I'm praying for myself. Saying, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of being rained out. We, we pour our souls out for meetings and you let it rain. What is wrong? You know, what is going on? And, and I, don't want to, I don't want to be in a hotel like this. I'm not complaining. I, I've, I've stayed in these places, but I, I just need something to change. Please. So Jeremy comes back. <clears throat> And uh, we get ready for the meeting. We go to the meeting. It rains out. You know, we're huddling in a little cover at the edge of the field, like a little lean-to that was there for this big field we had used. Come back to the room, and <clears throat> one of the sisters in the church comes to me and quietly, really nicely, Mr. Gaiman, your son has lice. <laughs> like, I know she's trying to be nice, and I, I know she's probably saying, what's the matter with you Americans? Don't you, like, bathe? And I'm, I'm in my heart, I'm smiling at her, and I'm saying, thank you for letting me know. And in my heart, I'm thinking, he got it in that room we're staying in. <laughs> so I, I'm telling all that to share with you. You will go through challenges, okay, that will make you want to quit. What I did was, instead of quitting, I said, Lord, I need some outside help. So I, I, when we came back to the States in furlough, I went to school. I, I, I signed up to take some courses at Fuller Theological Seminary. I said, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need some outside help. I need some teachers to teach me some things I'm missing. And one of the things that happened was uh, I studied about people groups and uh, unreached people groups and how I don't know how much teaching you get here about it, but people groups. You know, people like to hang out with people that are like them language, ethnicity, uh, culture. The world is divided. The world has 7.6 million billion people and 3 billion of them are still unreached people groups. Unreached. It's no church. Many of them have no Bible. Many of them less than 2% evangelicals in their midst. They're, they're effectively unreached. And I had this eye-opening experience about unreached people and also we studied at Fuller, we studied about harvest, why some people groups are more open to the gospel than others at any given time in history. And why is that? Why, is some, why, do, why do we have the word harvest in scripture? Why are some people open? Why did Jesus experience harvest when he talked about harvest in the context of multitudes of people? He said the harvest, it wasn't rhetorical, it was real. It was thousands of people coming to him, pressing in on him, eager to be with him, bringing their sick to him. Staying for days and not eating, listening to him. He's saying the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. And, and we started looking, at, as I studied these things, we started looking at, at the people we were working to in, with in Sri Lanka. And we said, this is the Tamil people. Every time we were with the Tamil people, they come by their hundreds, sometimes by their thousands. When we preach the gospel, they listen, they are respectful, they receive Christ. But when we go among the other people group, the Sinhalese, there's much more indifference and sometimes hostility. And it's not rocket science to see the difference. But I had been blinded to that, to that distinction. And we decided, after I got, our eyes were open, we decided to focus on the Tamil people and begin to plant churches among them after our meetings. 
And within a few years, like you, you heard in the introduction, we had planted more than 30 churches, 35, I think 36 to be exact, and we had started a church planting movement that now today has almost 100 churches and 35,000 former Hindus in it. Isn't that amazing? So we moved from our struggle, and the, 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 one of the greatest miracles of that, when we hooked up with a national leader, that was one of my first prayers, is, Lord, I need to partner with a national leader who has a vision to do this, a Tamil man. And the Lord connected us with a man named Pastor K. Yoganathan, and we built a relationship over a period of time. And the first meeting that we had with him, I remember, you know, I'm looking at the sky and seeing the clouds, and I'm thinking, what do you think, Pastor Yoga, is it going to rain? We're getting to know each other. You know, and he, he looks up and said, no, no, it's no rain, no rain. And I'm like, uh, you don't know anything, you know. <laughs> but I didn't say anything. And, you know, it didn't rain. It didn't rain that meeting, not at all. It didn't rain for the next five years. It didn't rain. It was amazing. It's like when you, when you get to that mo- moment, that, ca- that moment, things change. The, the sun, you know, not always the sun, but it wasn't raining. It's the sun, in a, in a metaphorical sense, came out. And we started planting churches, and it grew. My challenge to you in closing up today is this. Whether you're called to the United States or whether you're called to the nations, there are unreached people around you. you do you know that almost every city in the United States has unreached people in it that don't know anything about Jesus? Even in Queens, New York, there are hundreds, there are perhaps millions of people that know nothing about Jesus Christ. They're right on our doorstep. They're right next door neighbors. And we have an opportunity. It doesn't even take a visa. It just takes an intention to move to these places. Los Angeles, Houston, Minneapolis, uh, San Francisco, New York City, let alone the cultures that they represent in the nations from which they came. They can be a bridge to these countries, even ones that are closed nations that we as Americans maybe cannot go to or live in. Uh, We can reach them in these cities. So GLOBE is looking at how to do that. Missiologists call these three billion people um, that are here and there the unfinished task. It's the unfinished task that has to be done. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said that this gospel shall be preached as a witness to every nation. And then the end will come. That's our commandment. That's our, that's our commission. Paul says, and this is my concluding statement, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all died. And then those who, sh- who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. My challenge to you is to live for Jesus Christ and his purposes, no matter what that is. And don't underestimate what God can do through you as a catalyst. He could use you to reach a key person that will change the world that they go back to. God bless you guys. Wow.